Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. I'm Fred McMurray, which means after checking everything, it looks like we're good to go. This is... Welcome back to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. Live Thursdays, 5 p.m. Eastern. Howdy, man. Hi, Fred. How are you? I couldn't find my other hat, so we went with uh, everyone's favorite Viking hat. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure what that's going to have to do with 4th of July exactly, but then, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I suppose. So, Leif Erikson was the first person allegedly to hit the uh, North America way before Columbus or anybody else. So, therefore, he, without him, without Leif Erikson, the Vikings' contribution, there would be more no 4th of July. I so knew you would have an answer to that. <laughs> I just knew it. Hey, if I don't have one, then my network does. I think that's what I say. So, what's nice. been happening in the franchising world lately? Oh, my gosh. I feel like what's not been happening in the franchising world lately. Um, as you know, we've got several people that we're working with at different stages of the game in terms of franchising. Um, some that were helping turn their businesses into franchising. Some that were helping buy a franchise. Some that were in the middle of um, going through FDDs and trying to get them up to speed so that they feel comfortable buying a franchise. And so we're kind of all uh, staying really busy. And, of course, we've got a nice big list here for guests that are joining us not only today but in several episodes coming up here. I think we're booked all the way now through almost to September. So it's going to be a busy few weeks. Uh, amen to that. Um, some big news today. Allegedly, allegedly, and, and our technical producer has not yet confirmed this, but allegedly we're actually broadcasting live out on our first Internet uh, internet radio shoutcast server, woo, um, nice. which as that eventually we'll be able to um, register for our own internet radio, you know, n- name. So I don't know, K Pillar oh. or K Ray or or <laughs> K. Well, I don't know. You got to give me at least twenty four hours to come up with something creative, and when I come up with it, it'll depend on. Um, how much David laughed, whether or not we go with it. All right, I'm fine with that. And also, allegedly, for the first time, uh, LinkedIn is allowing us to broadcast live on LinkedIn. So there's a whole new audience there. Awesome. I heard that rumor. I I heard that. Um, ah. Interesting. I'm being told we got some audio issues. Interesting. So, oh, well, that's never good. That's never good. And I have no clue why we wouldn't. So, um, well, we well, have David dance. Yeah. Ray, you can sing. 
I, I, I don't think we have any, well, I don't hear any audio issues. It seems to be coming through fine uh, through Zoom anyway. Oh, but, uh, I, I, was think, I was thinking of a name. Uh, how about WKRP? No, that's been done before. <laughs> that, that's been done before. So, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I'm sure we could come up with something. I am, too. Uh, also, rumor has it is that there's a, at least a, one new potential franchisor that you're going to be helping out grow. Yes, I've heard that as well, and it makes me think of coffee. It does. Me too. So, oh, well. Anything else new? Cleaning products and coffee. That's the specialty, right? Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> need to get some I can tell you, I just, got my, I just got my notification that we're uh, streaming on uh, Twitch right now. So that's yeah, good. We are. That's exciting. I don't know that that's enough to get my son off of his video game watching, but um, <laughs> it's interesting and, and good to know that I got that. And certainly LinkedIn does indeed tell us that we are live. So I don't know which one's not listening or the audio is not working, Fred, but it looks okay for now. All right. So we'll leave it at that point. Um, shall we bring in our guest and let people say, see Ray's cool um, hat? I think we should. There's no time like the present. Yay. Yay. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Hi. And then there's Ray. He's out in the wagon, out in the bus. In the bus. Out in the coach, right? In the in uh, South Dakota, in Spearfish, and I am at the Elkhorn Ridge Resort. It's beautiful out here. Unfortunately, it's a Christian weather. It's 96 degrees, but there is a breeze. <laughs> it's sweltering hot, but still, uh-huh. it's nice. It's nice Good. to be out. Good. I'm glad you didn't go to the snow. Yeah. Well, he and also does anyway. This, this is, a, this is a, a winter resort as well the, for skiing. So. Okay. Excellent. So it's a good thing we got mountains in the background then. Yes. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> and and I'll just briefly tell you who we're going to be talking to today. Her name is Lauren Coulter. Did I say that right, Lauren? Yes. So perfect. Excellent. And she is a franchisor with Biscuit Valley. Now, I have to tell you, I did not have lunch today, so it's sounding really good. But before we get into your interview, can you tell us where you are and what the weather's like today? Yeah, well, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's been pretty sweltering hot here in the last couple of weeks. But today it's raining a lot. And so it's good. Our grass needs it. We need some uh, free water up in here. But um, yeah, it's going to be clear all weekend, I think, and beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, Fred, you want me to talk about everybody else that's here and they can tell about their weather? Well, they won't be seen on camera, but go ahead. Pull the rest of the our studio. All righty then. David, where are you well, today? I'm, I'm still in Cleveland. I'm, you know, staying here to throughout uh, throughout the early fall. Um, 70, not, not mid-70s right here. It's been sunny and cloudy, but right now it's sunny, so uh, pretty pleased about that. The weekend looks to be pretty good. Excellent. Um, and as long as the rain holds off and the storms hold off, it'll be a great weekend. 
Awesome. We'll all be at your house on Sunday then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and and a, a returning guest for us today who's going to give us some tips later on the show, Ms. Karen Kimsey Sword from Dale Carnegie. Hi, Karen. Hello there. How, How are you? Good, good. It's, it's, I look sunny from my window. I haven't been outside since 7 a.m., but I think it's a little cooler and beautiful here. Uh, you know, we've had all kind of continuous rain. Same with you in, in Louisville, right? But, yeah, but it's sunny today. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you with us. Thank All you. right. Well, let's get started. So as I mentioned, our guest today is Lauren Coulter. And this is a crazy fact that you are a pharmacist yeah. and restaurateur. Yeah. So okay. both my husband and I are both pharmacists on paper. Uh, okay. Neither of us are now practicing. So a lot of time and energy and money is I'm not going to say it's wasted. It's set us up to be able to do this. So <laughs> right, right. Where my head is. So, um, but yeah, we were, you know, graduated from pharmacy school and moved to Louisville. And we're young, and you know, pharmacists. We're making decent money, and just thought, oh, we should do something on the side, something for fun. And we opened up Louisville's first paint and drink concept. I'm sure y'all seen these. Five parts. Yeah, like Pino's palette. Um, there's a variety of them now, and we're just the first of its kind here in Louisville, and it went really well. And when I took off, we opened a second store, but we realized early on that it was probably going to be a fad. You know, there's only so many fleur-de-lis that people in this city need to hang in their house. <laughs> um, I did like an ocean with yeah. or something, you know, that was kind of our thing. I didn't exactly. have to draw anything, right? You just dump it and tilt the the, uh, the the canvas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Ours, the teacher, you know, walked you through it start to finish. But I mean, we would pack, you know, 90, 100 people in there wow. on a Friday night, Saturday night, you know, Sunday. It was, it was crazy. We yeah. had no expectation that it would do that well. But we started noticing that people were coming in to drink our kind of crappy wine. And <laughs> so we decided, uh, we kind of looked around. And in Louisville, it's big bourbonism, you know, bourbon tourism is huge here. And so, um, we looked around, saw a lot of bourbon, saw a lot of craft beers, didn't really find places that were wine approachable, like fun, mm -hmm. easy, chill places to have a glass of wine. Right. And um, so we opened up a full-service restaurant called Lubino, which, I mean, literally our first days, both of us working in a restaurant were, like, my husband on dish and me uh -huh. you know, cleaning wine glasses. And so <laughs> um, it went really well. We opened up a total of five of those locations, but... The full service, we had 60, 70 wines by the glass, another 20 or 30 by the bottle. And um, the full service evening style restaurant is right. a lot. And so yeah. um, we decided to change it up a little bit and open up a breakfast concept. So awesome. that's how we came about doing Biscabelli. Um, Biscabelli is very much kind of a throw to how we grew up with biscuits you know, at like the 7-Eleven on the corners and um, people very like are passionate about their biscuits. You know, one of my best friend growing up, you know, her grandma would make fresh biscuits every single morning. And so um, kind of a throw to that in some of our favorite places and locations in, in our hometown. And so opened up Biscuit Belly, did really well, opened up the second one. And we really quickly realized that this had legs that we could really do something special with this and okay. um just really 
changed our perspective a bit on growth. Um, with Luvino, it was very much like, okay, what kind of cash in the bank do we have now? You want to do another one? You want to try it? Okay, let's just see. And with this capability, we're being incredibly intentional about our growth strategy, um, really partnering with the right people, we believe. And um, we, we ultimately sold Luvino in December in a pandemic. Wow. So that we could focus, you know, 150%. And I know you all are the experts on here, but, you know, starting a, a franchise the right way, I believe the right way, takes so much time and energy and work and resources and you know, just so many decisions. And absolutely, where we've kind of leveled up a bit is that we went into this, again, intentional. And so... Um, you know, from our legal documents, the marketing materials, I mean, people that are coming in to have discovery days or visit with us um, are people who are used to being in the restaurant space, and they're very surprised at how far along, in a way, we are, uh -huh. despite being so small. So... And yeah. so new, right? Because yeah. really, this this get really took off in 2019. Am I right yep. on that? Oh yeah, okay. we opened up our first store in 2019, our second one in 2019, and then we're working towards the third one when the pandemic happened. We did uh -huh. go ahead and open it, um, and then we have our fourth store opening in about two weeks um, in Evansville, Indiana. So, so which one is it? Evansville that I just saw um, that's going to have the drive-through? Yep. Yeah. So awesome. we obviously with COVID before. You know, last March 16th, when everything got shut down, I, you know, would have told you, like, no, we're not doing takeout, we're not doing takeout, we're not doing any of that. We right. couldn't even, we wanted to service the people here in the store. And, our, I mean, literally our takeout percentage was, like, 0.2%. Our paper and plastic was, like, you know, dollars. And then COVID. Um, we are continuing to, we're, we're back, you know, at some of our 2019 numbers, and we, we're continuing, though, we're, we're curious to see if this takeout, which we're still, one of our stores still has, like, 27% takeout. Wow. Um, our other two are right around 20, and okay. so, you know, we're curious to see how that impacts the bottom line. Like, are those unique, you know, people who maybe started that, and they're going to continue eating at home a little bit sure. more? Or, you know, are we going to be able to add that to our top line sales? You know, so, yeah, Evansville, we're having a drive-through. going to be more of a, uh, we got to come up with a cute net, like a biscuit express light or something like that. Where, you know, if you call it, if you've ordered on our app and you want to get this big Rockwell Supreme and take it home, you, know, you can drive through our, our uh, drive-through and pick it up. But if you want more of like a grab-and-go style, bacon yeah. and cheese, sausage, chicken cheese, you know, those are the things you're really going to be able to order while you're waiting a lot. Get the belly up, so to speak. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, that brings us to a great point because when I first heard about you and that you were coming on the show, I'm like, biscuit belly? <laughs> and it took me a minute because I'm not from the South. And mm -hmm. so, you know, my dad also is not from the South, but loves biscuits and gravy anywhere yeah. he can get them. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, now, where did you come up with that name? You know, we, again, back to kind of the intentionality piece. I mean, we... Once we decided that we wanted to do this, we wanted our branding to be on point, our name to be on point. We had all of these, you know, decisions that we made, and it was so different from our previous experience where we're just kind of, like, sitting around our house with a glass of wine saying, like, oh, we should call it this, or we should call it that. Oh, that one sounds good, and just kind of went for it. So we worked with a, a team who does a lot of, like, branding and 
um, you know, they help, I think, elevate our overall look in terms of like helping figure out, you know, color and aesthetic. And um, the name Biscuit Belly, it, I'll be honest, I was kind of not in love with the name at first, um, but I don't know, it kind of grew on me. And then people love, you know, to be like, oh, I'm so stuffed. Oh, right. You know, and you always say like Taco Belly or Burrito Belly or yeah. Now you're like, I got a biscuit in my belly. Yes, exactly. So that's a fun thing. Kind of rolls off the tongue. And, um, awesome. Yeah. Well, it is super cute. And I did take a look at that. You had some pictures posted on the inside yeah. of the store as it was being as it was being decorated. I'll say on the inside, it looks very cute. And um, I'm super excited that you were able, in the process of franchising your business, you were able to pivot. And there's that favorite word again, right? Yeah. And build a drive-through. So it'll be very interesting to see, based on the build sites you have, based on the area that you go into, because some lend themselves nicely to drive-throughs and some not so much. Yeah. Um, but it'll be really curious to watch and see what that does to your sales. So yeah, we're excited too. And I mean, a lot of companies are really leaning into a smaller footprint, you know, and I get all the reasons people want to do that. And you save dollars and, um, but, but for us, when you're coming in, you're buying this big $13 biscuit and you want, you know, what we're trying to create is an experience. And so people sure. are coming in, they're waiting in line sometimes for, you know, 30, 45 minutes to get their breakfast. And then they sit down and they're in and out in 20, 25 minutes. For that 25 minutes, we want them to be like, this is the best breakfast experience they're going to have. You know, families coming together, reminding them of maybe, like you were talking about your dad, things that, you know, have that emotional connection of That's right. being tied to food. You know, so many memories and, I mean, so many things are, I think, decisions and important discussions are had around a table, right, with your family and your eating. And, and breakfast is one that families typically have together, even if they eat out with friends or other people at night, you know, breakfast is usually a communal family thing. And so that's what we are really driving towards. So we are not shrinking our footprint. Um, you know, we're, we're honing in on the 80, 90 seats. That's kind of what we need to do our human Tetris on the weekends of like getting people out and getting sure. people in. Sure. Um, I know there's a, a partner of mine here on, on the screen that loves <laughs> breakfast and lunch and dinner. <laughs> and we're, we're often interrupted by, oh, time to go eat. Right, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it's it's, it's in interesting that I was talking to uh, Kristen just before the show. And when she mentioned uh, uh, the name of your restaurant, the first thing that came up was uh, another restaurant which has a tagline. It's called Lambert's Cafe. I don't know if you have ever heard of it. No. But their tagline is Home of the Throwed Rolls. And they're in Sykeston, Missouri. Okay. It's interesting. I've I visited there at least uh, one time, maybe twice. But every time you go there, that someone comes out and throws rolls at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't throw any biscuits or bellies at you. We don't have enough biscuits. Yeah, like that's a terrible it. idea for me. I would have like I would have like butter all over my face. You know, <laughs> terrible idea for me. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting when they came out with pies. I said, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. But they they kind of. 
pretend to throw the pie that came <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it, 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 was, it was a great uh, uh, hook, so to speak, because uh, I, I was trying to think of the name of the restaurant, and I couldn't, so I just Googled it just before the show, and it came right up as soon as I uh, typed in Home in the Throat Rolls. And I oh, think my have, goodness. Yeah, I think they have several restaurants now, but they're not franchised. So, yeah, yeah it's it's a Food is an exciting thing, as uh, as uh, I'm sure David would tell you. Uh, if he's gonna, uh, I don't know if you're gonna <laughs> speak on this or not, David. Well, but his the, mouth is probably watering right now. He's probably running to the kitchen because he doesn't have to be on camera yet. But um, I did want to talk a little bit about your franchise because I noticed that you have some really aggressive growth plans. Yes. Yes. Yeah, how is, you know, kind of where you are in terms of meeting those goals right now? Yeah. Um, are you on track? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, yes, they are aggressive in one sense. I mean, my husband is the epitome of the visionary, the go-getter, the, uh, like, go, 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 go. Oh, so many ideas. Um, I'm the integrator in our group because y'all do EOS, and I'm yep. funneling those ideas to no, we can only do these things, but I feel like the goals that we, you know, for 2021, for instance, we are really just, we're not looking to do a million deals this year. We're looking to do three to five deals, each doing three to five stores. Um, we've done two of those and have now 10 franchise stores in development through those two deals. So I feel like we are well on track. And I think, <clears throat> too, we would rather do it the right way, which I think is also evidenced by the work we put into this going into everything. Mm-hmm. We'd rather do it the right way and take a little flow than to just be like throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know, and just seeing what happens. I mean, again, everything that we've done is very intentional. And so, um, you know, we are partnering. We've been really blessed that our first two groups, the first group is a legacy KFC franchisee. They've got 30 KFCs, 10 long jump silvers. Um, the second group is in probably 10 or 12 different franchise organizations, many wow. of them restaurant related. Okay. They love working with early stage franchisors. And that's really the most important thing to me is that during this time that we are capturing people who are okay with working with an early stage group because sure. we want to learn from them. You know, they have. 10 different brands, surely they have the perfect way of doing, you know, a couple of these things. So rather than right. sitting at home and saying, like, I wonder what would be the most effective way, it's nice. I can call them and be like, what's worked? What hasn't worked? Here's what I'm thinking. Right. Very um, able to, like, bounce ideas off. And um, that's really the key, I think, in what's made our experience good for these folks so yeah. far. Um, so while it's aggressive in one sense, I think that is smart and um you know we're really targeting people who are experts who are in the restaurant game you know who know what they're doing we don't necessarily want this ability to be somebody's first experience of any restaurant uh-huh yeah um, that was going to be my question is because obviously yeah. we have we have several people out there that that are looking yeah. thinking oh this would be a great place to start but you're really yeah. looking for more multi-unit um experience kind of already corporations that are buying up multi-unit other experienced franchises is that correct like ideally ideally at this point i mean we know that i I should say to our partner is chuck schnatter who you know was very involved in papa john's from the time it was like 
you know, store eight to store 4,000. He's right. had a million, you know, different roles there. And he has been very, um, you know, just pounding us on how important it is to get the right people. He's like, you have to get the right people. This is a marriage. This is not a date. Um, you know, and so I think that having that mindset of, you know, he's like, people will be willing to write you checks. Do not take the checks. You know, just you want to get the right people in. But the earliest, you know, us doing that now is really going to be key in the success, I think, of our brand in four years, five years. And right. I'm super pumped because the first two groups we brought on, um, any time that, like, people, you know, it, the franchise community is small, and mm -hmm. people will say, oh, I heard y'all got the shoppers, and they're awesome, and oh, my gosh, I'm so excited for you. You know, oh, you've got to power brands, they're amazing to their employees, they're amazing, you know, that just speaks volumes to me, and I hope that it also says things to, you know, people who are potentially interested about sure. the quality of person that we're trying to bring on. Okay, so do you have a minimum number of units that you're um, yeah. asking these to, to pick on? I mean, we're not, we're trying to be a little, you know, ideally in an area that could support it, three to five units, but we aren't. You know, some of these groups are doing like, you know, the Alabama group is doing Birmingham and Huntsville because that's where they already have a solid footprint. Um, we don't want, you know, Discobelly we know is an experience and a destination. We know this isn't going to be a Papa John's where you can put one, you know, every two blocks. Right. So um, we don't want to oversaturate a market by any stretch. But, you know, I think ideally people who could partner with us and go into a new market and develop that market is probably the most important thing. Um, I'm not set 100 on, you know, three to five stores. If, if the area can only support two, I'm going to do two because it makes the most sense. But um, just really trying to be smart, you know, from that perspective. Interesting. Ray, are you going to take the bus to Biscuit Belly now? Oh, All right. Yeah. For you, I will throw a biscuit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> With gravy on it. <laughs> Maybe on the way down to the uh, convention in Florida. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 Got to go right through there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's excellent. That's very exciting. When we, we have to take a commercial break. When we come back, I'd like to hear some more about um, what it costs to invest in your brand. And, um, you know, obviously we have the upfront costs, and then we have, um, you know, what kind of money you have not only to buy the franchise, but what kind of net worth folks have to have to invest in it. Yeah. And talk about some finer details. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Take us away, friends. I will. First, an apology to those trying to watch on LinkedIn. You can hear us on LinkedIn, but you can't see us because we're actually broadcasting in higher quality than LinkedIn video can handle. Ooh, isn't Ooh. that cool? And here we go. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. 
If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y.com. And we're back. Awesome. So, Lauren, let's get down to brass tacks. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking for? Obviously, we heard a little bit about your ideal candidate, so that's good. Um, yeah. Tell us about your franchise fees, maybe what that includes, sure. um, and as well, what you expect in terms of, um, you know, people to have beyond that in terms yeah. of Netflix. Sure. So, the franchise fee is 30000 for the first two stores and then goes down to twenty five, I believe, after that. Um, we... You know, it says that we require $300,000 cash um, available and then, you know, $600,000 net worth. The, the range for our stores to open, you know, without any TI, without any work, <laughs> work letter from the landlord, as if, you know, our lawyers require us to be very conservative on this. So, uh, you know, it can range anywhere from 600 and 70,000 to, you know, mid 900,000 to open up a biscuit belly, assuming a cold dark shell and OTI dollars. <laughs> um, yeah. That does include, you know, obviously the, the fee, it includes things like a secondary, um, having to buy an alcohol permit on the secondary market, which we know happens in some places, uh, three months rent. So we try to be as robust as possible and, um, then, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our starting points, I guess you'd say. Um, okay. Our spaces themselves are pretty stunning. I wish that I could, like, take you and show you around. Um, but my husband, you know, loves incredible tile. And my joke on on uh, LinkedIn this week was, you know, the herringbone. Chad Coulter. Yes. Herring and you got a lot of comments on that herringbone, too. Uh, people, I'm telling you, he is obnoxiously good at design, and um, and it just looks stunning. And so when people come in, I think, you know, the white subway tile, the, right. the blues are supposed to be calming, the yellows are supposed to be, like, spirited and fun, and right. uh, I think just the combination works really well. So, it's so crazy. I feel like you both missed your calling when you went to pharmacy school, right? I know, for sure. <laughs> told, I'm going to tell my mom you said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens, right? I'm getting ready to send one to college, and you, you send yeah. them thinking, you know, they've got this goal, they're going to do this thing, and then, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, that's not at all where they land. I know, <laughs> and I mean, I'm all about, like, the kids going to schools and what they need, you know, do the right, if that's what you want to do, but that there are other pathways for people and, um, you know, ones that you don't have to go $160,000 in debt for, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, yeah, I mean, even just in, like, the development and training of our people, that's been so important to me is to just show some of them, look at the opportunities, you know, that could be available to you and that the return that you could get. Um, if, if you would be allowed to invest some of that time and money in, into yourself. So, yeah, absolutely. And we know yeah. that we've got a lot of people coming out of corporate America yeah. here right now and in the very near future who've decided to kind of take their futures into their own hands. And yeah. so, obviously, they're always looking for good businesses, and that's why we want to showcase, you know, franchises like yours that are new market. So yeah. they have an opportunity to see what's going on out there. So awesome. that's really good. Ray, did you have any follow-ups on that? No, go right ahead. I'm enjoying the show. 
<laughs> excellent, excellent. So, Warren, is there anything else that you think that, that we or your listeners need to know? Um, maybe how to contact you? Yeah. I mean, literally, the phone number on our website is my number. So, people, you know, it's funny with an early stage franchisor, they call and they're like, can I speak to the head of your real estate department? I'm like, well, right. that's me. And then can I speak to the head of your, you know. Franchise development. Exactly. That's me. Um, you know, I, I don't have a, on paper, a, a degree or anything in, in sales, but it's easy to sell something that you love or end up Absolutely. So, um, yes, have people check out our website, thiscabellifranchising.com. Um, you fill out a form, it comes directly to my cell phone. Um, you call the number that's listed, it calls me. So, awesome. Uh, well, I'm glad I didn't test that out last night because I no, was looking fine. at all the Biscuit Belly stuff, and I'll tell you, you know, you have good paid placement because when I put in Biscuit Belly, like the first two pages was all about Biscuit Belly. Good. You know? Okay, good. So, yeah. so that's great. So that's great. Well, we are obviously going to have all your contact information on our website. So if people didn't catch your information or how to get you on LinkedIn or, yeah. or the home website for Biscuit Belly, they certainly can find it for us. And we so appreciate your time today. And I'm so yeah. excited to see how you do with your growth plan. And uh, as I said, um, my husband and son are heading your way next weekend for a baseball tournament. So I'm giving them homework. Their homework is to go to Biscuit Valley. Good. Yeah. Hit me up. Come text me. I'll, uh, I will. I will. Good. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Woman will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are the Franchise Woman. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. I just love Elizabeth Denham. She does a great commercial. And joining us now is my next favorite person when it comes to all things employee-related, whether it's leadership or it's hiring and retaining, Ms. Karen Kimsey-Sward. I see you still on mute. There you are. Hello. Hi. Well, we asked you on the show today, and you and I have been talking a lot about um, the big drain on small business and franchises and trying to get and keep employees these days. So what have you got for us today? What are some of the things you want to tell us about today? Yeah, it, it's it's every business I speak with, small business, medium-sized business. It's that, right, it's the whole of how can I get good people? How can I attract people? And also, how can I retain people? I was reading a recent article, and they're talking about the turnover tsunami. That's expected. Oh. There's research done. Yep. I think it was like, you know, anywhere from like, 25 to 50% of people that were surveyed were saying, you know, I'm going to change jobs. And so that's, that's wow. pretty scary, especially for us small businesses. Yeah. Because it's, it's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money to actually hire people 
and get them up to speed and then for them to leave and then you've got to start all over again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I was uh, talking last week that we um, were on vacation in Tennessee for a different baseball tournament and I was shocked at how many franchise restaurants and mom and pop restaurants had to close early because they just didn't have the help. Right. Right. And, and I think that's right. I'll go ahead because they have signs that say, be patient with us, right? Because we don't, we don't have the staff. Yeah. And I think it's done a lot to teach us all patience because I am not particularly a patient person. If I am going into something like a restaurant where I used to work, right? I understand what service is supposed to be. And when you're right. not getting that, you know, you kind of get a little bit crazy or you're used to going into a store of retail again, where I used to grow up. Right. And then I'm like, what do you mean? I can't get any service. And no, I don't want to go through this robot to check out. Right. So it's, it's been challenging, I think for all of us. So what are some of the secrets that you have for us? Well, just, I mean, a few, a few tips that seem, that seem like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's understandable. That's pretty basic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we've all been, in this past year and a half, uh, most of us have been in the, how do, how do we just recover this crisis? We're going through this crisis, right? And so we're on this, this wheel of, oh my gosh, we've got this crisis. How do we, how do we survive it? And as we're coming out of the survival, right? We're, we've survived it. And now it's how do we get back on track and not, not feel like we're always on that, um, that, that rat wheel and just stop for a second. And I think really it's right. back and say, okay, let's think about as we're trying to attract these people, Several key things uh, to keep in mind to make sure we can get the right people. You know, you were talking about even like when you go to the store. I'm impatient too. And when I go yeah. to the store and if I can't get someone to wait on me, especially for some reason, like department stores and everything, I'm like, where is, where is someone? To-? <laughs> so I think it's the balance too. It's because, because we will buy more. We will do more, right? It's a good experience yeah. customer. So the key, one of the key things I think is making sure, even though we're all in the, I've got to get people on board. It is to take a breath and make sure that we have the right people on board. Yeah. That's the thing where I think a lot of people are like, okay, I've got to get people on board. And they keep, they keep hiring and not stopping and saying, okay, I need the right people. Yeah. Yeah. People to share the values. Yeah. We used to refer to to that as just a warm body, right? I just need a body. I need a warm body who can show up and whether it's push cards, flip burgers, you know, run plates of food, ring a register. We just need bodies, right? And and I do think that you're right. I think that a lot of businesses have settled for less on quality in search of more quantity. And that's really scary. But, you know, we still have a lot of people out there. Uh, my employees just keep saying and just wait till September when they end this additional bump that the states are giving folks that are on unemployment. And then you'll see employees come. And I think, wow, I hope I can wait that long. Oh boy. I hope so. I hope so too. And yet at the same time, it's like, you know, as business owners, as we're trying to, you know, I think there's two pieces to this. One is to attract people. The other is to make sure we're keeping the people that we do have. Yep. So it's not to forget them and say, okay, during this time, let's make sure as leaders that they know that we think they're important. We are, you know, that there's the empathy there, right? There's Mm -hmm. the them it's making sure we're building the right culture it's being flexible and i think flexibility is a key word over the next the next months to come yeah yeah one thing that david always says and i'm going to steal your line david because that's what i love to do i have all these david lines right my <laughs> husband goes to yoga and tells me all these yoga lines so i come off the call and say well guess what david said 
And we had a conversation about this actually the other day, and I think it feeds nicely into what, what you're talking about today. And that's, you know, when you're hiring somebody to talk to them and treat them the way they want to be treated, not the way you think they want to be treated. Yeah. And um, I think that's a really good takeaway that David shared with us last week or the week before that so many people in leadership positions overlook. Agree. And don't you think sometimes people, leaders, will just keep talking at someone like, this is important, that's important, and that's important. It's based on their point of view versus stopping. And we, we know we need to be clear on our values and where we are, but we also have to find out where people are. It's even mm-hmm. this crisis. People are at different stages, right? They're even different right. stages, how comfortable they are. So really understanding where someone is and meeting them where they are and focus on them. And if they can, they can feel that connection and they can feel sure. To them, and that you care. Some of those pieces are really, really those basic elements. I think of, of how we treat others. Um, we'll yes. be able to retain some of our key employees and taking. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Especially if you, you know, um, Ray and I have businesses where we employ um, different cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And so that becomes very important in that particular realm as well. And I think there's a lot of different industries out there, depending on what you're in. Um, Field-wise, what kind of folks you might get. Some have professionals, some have people with not many skills, and you're growing them. And so all of that has to be taken into consideration. you have anything else for us on some final thoughts today? Just a couple of things. I think a lot of times you mentioned the word skills. And I think so many times, one, there are a couple of different things they think that going forward for the next month to come. It's, yes, we need to focus on skills and at the same time um, looking at attitude, looking at attitude first and saying, okay, let's hire for attitude. And if we can, let's train them on the skill. Because Good point. cultures are built one person at a time. Yep. If you get one wrong person in there, that really just starts kind of kind of undermining the culture you want to build. Yes. Key thing. So. Very good point. Yeah. And I think the second thing is, is the flexibility of, for us. I know I've had a hard time with, you know, because it's almost like, you know, as we started coming back in person, I'm like, okay, everybody's back. Well, you know, that might not be the case. And so I really kind of step back and say, okay, I've got to change how I think. And I really think as business owners, regardless, we've got to think about, can we do hybrid? You know, because a lot of people are saying, well, I'll come back only if I can work from home, right? Or right. only come back if there's some flexibility there. Because now that we've seen it, I think a lot of people want it. So then how can we open our minds up to that? Mm-hmm. Um, see how we can accommodate some people and I think that will also help us to attract some of the right talent that we're looking for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And some people, quite frankly, are going to have to look based on the business they're in. You know, if you're running an accounting firm or marketing company, some of those tests don't need to necessarily be done Monday through Friday, eight to five. Right. 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 And yeah. so that's that's where meeting the employee where they're at, not necessarily where you think they need to be. Um, could certainly come in handy. So, well, thank you so much, Karen. Karen Tinsley Ford from Dale Carnegie, Chicago. We appreciate having you on, and we look forward to seeing you again very soon. Great. Thanks. All right, Fred. Hey, welcome to Pillars of Franchising. I'm here with Red Boswell with IFTG again. Hey, Red. Hey, Kristen. Great to be back. Miss you. I know it's been a few weeks, and I, I saw you were out there with a man band now and doing cartwheels, and I'm like, man, the people at ISPG have so much fun. 
<laughs> well, thanks. That, that was uh, fun. I, I did a 23-day road trip with the family. I've got three teenagers. One yeah. is about to leave the roost, so dad's trying not to cry every day of my life here lately with my best friend leaving the house. But um, took them to uh, that, that little video you saw was at a family camp we go to each year, and uh, on one of the nights there's a talent show, and so for five years now I've I've rallied some of the cooler dads and we we do an air band and so one year it was rap one year it was hair metal this year it was boy bands and so we grabbed like 20 seconds of five different boy band songs and we did our choreography and embarrassed our kids to to no end oh it was hysterical i didn't realize it was a family camp but i would love to do that to my kids they would just i mean and my one son would be like oh gosh it's my mom and the other two would like run as fast as they can in the other direction (laughs) yeah they were they were laughing their head off and my wife was hiding in the corner but i i (laughs) I posted it on LinkedIn with the, you know, LinkedIn's business. And so I wanted uh, to kind of just share and, and, and inspire. Do you let down your guard? Do you get loose? Do you act like a human being around your team? And so, that, you know, although it wasn't officially a conference or a business event, it's certainly something executives in any arena can do to have fun and make some cool memories and show their humanity. Yeah, and you know what, I think that's really important. And and the other nice thing that it showed is that as busy as you are, when you're in business for yourself or when you work in franchise in particular, there's a lot of flexibility in where you go and what you do. And like you said, you're able to take 23 days and take your three teenagers and your wife with you, like, and still work. And still, and still get some work done, absolutely. In today's day and age, and we've seen this more never through the pandemic, we have the smartphone. We, and what can you do on here? Phone calls, yeah. emails, texts, private message, Zoom. Yeah. I mean, what, what can't we do? Yeah. Um, and I can take you know, snapshots and, and, and send uh, a contracts via yeah. email. And uh, so it's, it really has allowed us to expand our horizons and be able to do so much more in just about every field, especially franchising. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So congratulations to you and welcome back home now. I can tell because we have the IFPG in the background, which is amazing. I do. In fact, this is a different background. This is a real live background. You know, in the previous ones, I had my green screen over here on the other side of the room with a pretty not quite real background. And the reason I don't have it today, besides just mixing it up, getting fresh, yeah. is I've got a new laptop. And that thing is taking about 12 hours to to get some updates. And so I just couldn't use the old the old standards. So you get the real thing today. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. We're going to continue our series that we have going with you about the mistakes that franchisors make. So um, I believe we're down, we're starting at number 14 today. Number 14. This this should be the third and last episode, at least for now. There's, we're, we're, in my world, working with about 500 franchisors, I constantly see mistakes they make. And having been one for the longest time, I made Virtually every one of them anyway, but sure. we're going to wrap it up hopefully this session with the last of the three episodes on mistakes franchisors make. And um, some of these, you know, you, most of your audience are franchisees or franchisee prospects, but it helps them understand and watch for these mistakes. And maybe it'll bore them, but and certainly the franchisors in the audience hopefully get some value. So I'll hit you with number 14. Uh, it is presenting to consultants. 
aka brokers, mm-hmm. like they are like they are candidates. Now, oh, okay. the candidates in the audience aren't going to care about that. They don't even know what I'm talking about. But so often the Zors are presenting Zors, franchise Zors. Yeah. Zors are presenting to the consultants, because consultants and brokers and uh, matchmakers, advisors, coaches, right. whatever you call ourselves, they are presenting, uh, they're learning about brands. And when the brand is uh, speaking to them like a candidate, there's a lot of difference there. We need to know there's a lot of things that candidates don't need to know. And frankly, we don't need to hear, you know, 10 minutes on how your founder came up with the idea when he was in fourth grade. So yes. we, we don't need so much. <laughs> yes, agreed. It's short, sweet, simple, right? And and really your your brokers, as you said, are the matchmakers, right? And um, and we want to make sure that they have the latest and greatest, the best, you know, the high points when they're mm-hmm. talking about those brands, right? Yes, and help okay. them understand your ideal candidate. Candidates still need to hear your ideal candidate, but the consultants certainly do. Yeah. Number I- fifth. Number 15, not investing into the right software, the technology to help support your system. So that could be your CRM on the franchise development side of things, mm-hmm. the operations software, the, um, oh, the, the, the operations manual, the yeah. software to really do that correctly. So skimping on some of the really important things that will make your life easier, help you attract better candidates, help you monitor it, save, save time, and ultimately make more money and even in some cases save money. So uh, it's an important one, and Zors often will trip – how do they say? Trip over dollars for see. pennies? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, paid. I really that's – a, that's a great point because we've recently – our – our um, platforms and our CRMs, and it's for the franchisors too. They can look into the businesses now because it's all web-based, and and you know we don't have to go through any manual royalty reporting processes, and everything's very nicely done right now. So great, great choice. Great Absolutely. Point. Well, you're with a great Zor with Neighborly and with Molly Made, so um, they do it right. Yeah, Chris. Number sixteen is it's another kind of broad one. It's the Zor not enlisting the help of the franchisees. Now, starting out when you're an emerging Zor, you kind of know it all, and the Zs know almost nothing. But very about that model. But very quickly, the Zs are in the field more than the Zor ultimately, and they, you know, a, a Z came up with the Big Mac and so many other great I- inventions in franchising. And so getting the help of those Zs with a franchise advisory council, so you're listening to them and, and, and working hand in hand. We often call franchising a marriage between the Zor and the Z, a franchise or a franchisee. And if it's a marriage, there's equal respect and help amongst one another, even to the point of franchise development, getting those great, happy, well-validating franchisees structured uh, with a process, not wasting their time, but helping them with validations of, of prospects. So enlisting yeah. the help of your best franchisees is… And, uh, and some of that you'll find when you're reviewing an FCD, it will outline if there's an FAC or a franchise advisory council. So that's something for people who are looking, like like you said, you know, we may, we may be talking about Azores right now, and some of our people may be prospective investors or buyers, but that's one of the things that they're going to want to look for. Amen, for sure. You know, another one is a true mistake straight up between the eyes is selling or awarding franchises or even having a second conversation in states where you are not registered. I way back in the day, 
way back, uh, b- before the, the the beard was white. Um, I had a uh, I had hired a franchise development pro. He was a consultant in the traditional sense. He came very well uh, referred, and I thought he was a truly a world class expert. Well, that guy I trusted way too much, and I let him have all the reins on our sales process and speaking with our candidates. He sold some franchises under my name in states that we weren't completely fully finished registering. Some of those states can take a few months to get registered. And that he, he had no ill will, no no selfish motive. He just was a little bit ignorant on it. Well, guess who paid for it? Six, six figures, my dear. Massive, massive. Ultimately, seven figures out of the, the red man's pocket because I – made the mistake as a franchisor of not very closely, stringently watching where we're allowing our franchise development team to have serious conversations about buying our franchise. Wow, that's a really, really good idea. Do you recommend franchisors do that as soon as they become a franchisor to register in all the states, or should they wait and do that as they're about to go into that particular region? It's a Zorbizor decision. <laughs> uh, some Zors that are really regionally focused, perhaps they're relying on a uh, supply chain like a restaurant where mm-hmm. it's really controlled. Then, yeah, no need to register in California when you're starting in Florida and you're you're going to just go to the four states around Florida. Right. Um, while other service brands may not be restricted so much by it. And so um, the registration states are important. You don't want to wait until you get a lead. I hear this often. I'm going to wait till I get a good lead in that state before I register. Well, the registration on average is going to take three months. Right. <laughs> that good lead right. ain't going to be around. And you're not going to even know if it's a good lead until you've had multiple conversations. And by then you've broken the, the rules and you're getting to get in trouble. So, yeah. Okay, good point. Good, good, I'm glad that I asked that question because we've got some people that I like to talk that about. Another one then would be if I this would be one of the tattoos I have if I had one, and yeah, I don't have any unfortunately. But if I had one, this would probably be right there on my neck, looking really like you know, really <laughs> crunk or is it street? Anyway, um, it would say there's nothing more expensive than a cheap attorney. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then underneath it, I would have or a cheap CPA. So yeah. invest wisely with a franchise attorney that knows franchising right. and uh, will guide you well through it. Yeah. My first vision when you said a uh, cheap attorney was a guy in a leisure suit in the 70s, you know, sitting at the bar. <laughs> I played you know, that game where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Or no, that was a game called Leisure Suit Larry or something. I don't know, one of those games years ago. <laughs> well, and it could be uh, someone like, again, Red made this mistake back in the day. Um, I have a good friend who's a wonderful attorney. Mm-hmm. He did my will. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? He is not a franchise attorney. Yeah. Uh, he was thought he was doing me this wonderful favor, saving me all this money, helping me put that whole docs together. Wow. That was a big mistake. But again, not in ill will, right? I mean, he was really trying to do the right thing. And, and I was too. I appreciated him so much for it. It's just 
ignorance on his part and my part, the importance. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's a great attorney, smart, he passed the bar, he can, you know, the internet can help him with stuff he doesn't know. But man, there's nothing like someone living it all day long, breathing it, having already helped 80 other Zors through it, knowing the ins and out, knowing some of the verbiage that changes year to year. It's so yeah. critical. Yeah, totally true. You know, I went to my uh, OBGYN with an earache, right? <laughs> Should have known better. <laughs> true story. True story. <laughs> Six years down the road, I got a tumor. Well, my husband said, why are you having the gynecologist take a look at your ear? That's the wrong end of your body. That's like getting the chief attorney, right? A, a family attorney to do a franchisor. It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, so. That's such a good analogy. Oh my God, so, I'll never forget that. An, <laughs> I'll never forget that analogy. Um, okay, number number nineteen. Unnecessarily giving away equity, or perhaps not. Again, this is very Zor to Zor specific. What's your budget look like? Your budget of time, your budget of money, your aspirations, your opportunity. Reviewing it all, and why, why I bring this up, I've had numerous um, Zors give away equity, and it was uh, it was a mistake because they gave it to maybe a, a franchise development rep or an FSO, a franchise sales organization, that and they structured it incorrectly where it wasn't earned. It was just immediately given, and so th those can be a complicated process and a very important decision, again, of who you're going into bed with for the next decade or two, who you're going to have to listen to and partner with and share profits with and argue with, man, don't take that decision lightly. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Thank you for that. Rolling out the last two for you, um, at least for now. Uh, number 20, pay for the best. They are worth it. Now, I touched on this in hiring CFEs earlier in uh, episode two, I believe. Pay for the best. I, I hired way back in the day, again, when I was a Zor, I actually paid my technicians in the field. Kind of think like uh, think your maids in your, yeah. in your franchise. I paid my technicians in the field more, more. Then I paid my controller in-house. Now, guess what? I had the worst controller in the history of franchising. Cost me, an, cost me another six or seven figures of stupidity on Red's half, Red's part, by, by getting cheap on the things that matter so, mu so much. Yeah. I'm scratching my head because I wish I had six or seven figures twice to have taken away. <laughs> like. I don't even know how I could afford to have such a seven-figure block, but it's amazing to me. It's well, but the, the lessons you learned are priceless, right? Uh, priceless is a good word for it, yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, thank you for that reminder. Uh, okay, last one for this week uh, is not properly managing the validation process. So many Zors just throw the Z to the wolves not meaning to call the current Z's wolves, but it's um, you can have wonderful Z's that are making a lot of money and are uh, validating well, but helping the Z candidate who's going through that process, helping them, you're not, now it's illegal, FYI guys, it's illegal for a franchise to steer you or tell you you can only speak with these franchisees. So they can't say that, they can't do that. Right. You've got a whole list of franchisees in the uh, FTD, but, it's a balancing act. That that candidate doesn't need to speak with any Z until the time 
Okay, till the process has gone through there a third of the way, two thirds of the way, perhaps through the process, then speak to all the disease you want. But get the, the ZOR should be helping you with that, meaning the ZOR should. Uh, I've had so many candidates in the past will go to a franchisee with the purest of intentions. Hey, how much you making? That's an important question, right? How much yeah. they making? And the Z with the purest of heart and, and soul will tell them. Mm hmm. And maybe it's a low number. And now all of a sudden, that Z candidate's turned off. They're bailing on the process mm -hmm. when they didn't ask how long you've been at it. That's right. Did you, did you follow the process at all? Mm -hmm. Are you full-time or part-time? Do you, how much have you actually invested time and money into marketing and growing the pro, the process? That's so there's right. some very critical questions. The rest of the story is, you know, we, to Paul Harvey would say, ask the question properly and you will get the answer that you're looking for. Answer, uh, ask it incorrectly. You're going to get half an answer that could totally ruin your process, make you go to a franchise that's not ideal for you. So right. the Zora should be helping you with those questions, giving you some questions. There's nothing wrong with that. They can give you proper uh -huh. questions to ask. You can ask anything you want, but give sure. you the thorough questions and even ask, um, who do you want to, who, what type of person do you want to speak? Do you want to speak to newer Z's? Do you want to speak to uh, Z's in this East Coast or female Z's or Z's with an engineering background? So they can help you with that. So the ZOR yeah. should be helping with validation. You're putting together odds are there's a good bit that's not in that item 19 and so that zor um can look at it and man they have to be careful a lot of them just won't even look at it like when yeah. that zor is like hey here's i actually provided a template with blank numbers but it included the formulas that uh -huh. were approved by my attorney so they they were formulas to help the Z build a better uh, spreadsheet, aka business plan, to predict things. Yeah. But I told them once I give you this blank with formulas, business uh, spreadsheet, do not send it back to me. I will not open it. I will not review oh. it because I can get in a lot of trouble for that. That's right. I guess the franchisees that you're validating with, they can give you more insights. They have no, right. financial, no financial uh, interest in you coming on board or not. So, yep. uh, you, you want to be careful not to ask them for too much of their time. They got a business to run, but okay. if you got a high level that they can just look at a quick snapshot of, uh, they could be a real help to you. Well, that's awesome. I think we've touched on points, not only uh, good advice for our current Zors, our people who want to become Zors, and people who are out there looking to become franchisees today. So I thank you again for your time. And uh, I do look forward to what other shenanigans you get into in the next week. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kristen. And we're excited about our big event in Chicago. Ooh. I hear you and Fred might be able to in invade that and just uh, cause some havoc amongst our we'll – have, um, we'll have, man, probably 60, 80 folks there between Zors and consultants. We limit the number, but yeah. it's going to be an exciting regional event and excited to have you guys participate in it. It's a, it's awesome. a month and a half away, but it, yeah, I'm already looking forward to it. Hey, you know what? Time flies when you're having fun, so for you, it'll feel like next week. Yes. We're already, I mean, we're down deep in the weeds. A hundred days away is our big annual retreat in Hollywood, Florida. We'll have hundreds of consultants, hundreds of Zors, some, a bunch of great vendors. Uh, that'll be a blast too. And we are all over it. We can't believe it's less than a hundred days now. 
Well, I'm going to look for my save the date card. <laughs> Come on in. The more the merrier. It'll be a blast. Quite honestly, Florida sounds so much better than Chicago. Not that I don't love Chicago, but, I mean, come on. In the fall, as it gets cooler here to go where it's warmer, you know. Until next week, Fred. I read, sorry. I, you know, it's so, I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss. Fred and Red and, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not going to go we, any further. I get myself in trouble with my rhymes. <laughs> Dr. Kristen, well, yes. I'm, exci- I'm excited to be on and uh, see you in an episode in a week or two or three, as usual. Love being a part of your, your awesome Pillars of Franchising. Awesome. We love to have And we're back. Hi, David. Hello. Red and Fred, and- seriously? Okay, well, the problem is, if you have three kids like me, and you read them five books a night from the time they're like five months old, I could probably start reciting Dr. Seuss books. Now, unfortunately, the next line of that book would be like Red and Fred and Bed, right? And so I didn't want to say that because... (laughs) Because then I thought he would really turn red. Yeah, I should have said it, but I said it now. Anyway, David, you feel uh, my pain, right? That's right. That's right. So, yeah. as I always do, enjoy all those all the guests before I come on. Um, I don't know if anybody, while they were listening, had a chance to look at um, the menu of Biscuit Belly. It was oh my gosh, it, it was incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's so much stuff on there, and, and they've they've done a great job just with the pictures and everything. I mean, it's it's, it's mouthwatering. So, I think it's really, like a a one pound biscuit goes in, and then my pant size goes up like two no bowls, right? It's no like question. the scale poundage goes up by three with one one pound biscuit. That's what would happen to me, but. It does sound delicious. I am I am going to uh on our trips down to Florida, we are gonna make a detour and go visit Biscuit Belly. That's that's for sure, because that menu is very intriguing. It looks delicious. Yes, it does. And and Karen, her and I could probably talk for hours and hours and hours about um leadership and people and all that stuff. So that was she was fantastic. That was great. Great information. So what I want to talk about kind of dovetails to all that stuff um that we talked about in the past and kind of what even Karen was touching on and a little bit of what Lauren is trying to accomplish. And what I wanted to talk about is brand standards and expectations. Awesome. And and I think, you know, as potential franchisees out there, we all want to get into our own business, right? We're, we're going to go work for ourselves. Yep. You know, the, the tsunami that Karen talked about, leaving yeah. the corporate world. We're all going to get in their own business. But when you join a franchise, you have to uphold the brand standards um, that, they, that they set out. And you have to do that for a bunch of reasons. One, it's the brand image. And two, it's a responsibility to the other franchisees. Absolutely. And, and that's what makes when you buy a franchise so valuable, right? Because people already have that brand familiarity. Hopefully it's already sticky. People know of it. Yeah. It, well, they do if it's established in Lauren's situation. Good point. And she mentioned she has to be very picky, very, uh, I think it was the person from uh, Papa John's store, make sure you're really picky in who you get in because well, you get the wrong person in there that is going to do their own thing. The rogue franchisee is your first franchisee. Yeah. You know, get off the crown. 
<laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's the truth. And I mean, as she was talking about the, the restaurant industry, you know, that's my, my biggest part of my background. Yep. I mean, every, there, there are so many things that she was hitting on that, that, um, you know, just brought back memories. And, and one of the things that I, I that really you have to understand as a franchisee is, oh, you have brand standards and there's brand expectations. Truthfully, the customers are the ones that set the expectations that they, they, um, or the guests set the expectations. And, and the way I used to explain this to everybody is the guests are going to set the expectations, not necessarily you and not necessarily your staff. So I used to challenge everybody to raise their, raise their level of, of what can we do better? Because if in the restaurant business, I guess I'll back up a little bit. If somebody mm-hmm. comes in and did not have a great experience, and we all know this, Yep. They go and tell somebody or 10 people or 100 people, yep. you never even get the opportunity to impact positively somebody else. That's right. They may never come in because of that. Yeah. Right? And what I used to do since we had servers, what I used to try to impress upon them is, is, is if we had a phenomenal server, then the other servers owed it to, owed it to everybody to be as good as that server. Because if I came in and I had a great server, and then I came in and, and had a different server who didn't care about me as much. Now right. my experience is totally different. Yeah. It's, and did you find that in your business, David, when you got, um, like for us, we get really good Google reviews. And mm-hmm. did you find that um, in your business you would share those really great reviews or that great feedback with your staff so that you could create that, that kind of situation which all people wanted to copy that good employee? Yeah, absolutely. We did that. And we also... Um, we did a lot of our own mystery shops. So as those came through awesome. and those came up and then, and then obviously our guest comments, you know, whenever they would rate us and do the guest comments, we would posted all those. So it was a big focus because the challenge was, it was, I, I, we would try to impress on our managers and everybody else. And I think this holds true, not just in restaurants, but everybody, you challenge your managers, you challenge your employees and make them understand that their effort affects everyone. Yeah. It affects everyone in the business from the, the CEO, you know, down to the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the, the parking lot sweeper. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It affects everybody, um, including the customer, the customer, the guest. Yep. So that effort. And so I used to tell everybody, I said, the challenge is to, to get in the mindset to 10 X, 10 X, what you think is good service. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell them because what you think is good isn't. Right. And I said, what do you mean? What is it? And it's just a challenge question. And I, you know, try to say, and I go, okay, how can we get there? How can we 10 exit? You know, um, what do we need to make X happen? Right. How are we going to make X happen? How will we know when X is done? You know, on a scale of one to 10, what's your commitment level to make to, to reaching that, that pinnacle, right? That high expectation level. So those are things that as a franchisee, you, you have to be thinking about, when you're developing your staff and you're opening up your business and it's great questions to ask yourself because uh, you know, you're the leader, right? So well, and I, they're not going to do anything. A, no. Go on. Yeah. And I think you did a really good job because um, when you shared with us some of the interview questions and specific things that you would ask your employees um, about what motivates them, kind of what drives them, things that are most people in an interview for a restaurant wouldn't ask. Right. And, and you drew that out of your applicants right away. So you could tell 
which ones were the type of people that were going to be successful and which ones weren't. And I thought that was very interesting, some of the things that you were able to come up with outside of really the franchise model to help you build a staff that would work for you the way you wanted that to yeah, go. I appreciate, I appreciate it because it truly is. If I, was, I think it was Karen that said this, um, and that's why it struck you know, struck court, is, and, or maybe, maybe it was Lauren, I'm not sure, but we truly, truly, truly would impress on every hire the personality, hire the attitude, hire the heart is what I used to say. You can always train skill. Yes, but yes, get, and I think that's a great point. But get that if you can, especially in the hospitality industry, hire the heart. If, if they've got the heart to serve and help people, you teach them how to take an order. You teach them the menu. Yeah. That's awesome. David, thank you again You're so welcome. much. We always appreciate listening to your tips of the, and tricks of the trade. In this episode, we called it Food for Thought, since we were talking about biscuits in the belly. Yeah. And so uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again next week. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank you. Ah, hi, Terry. Greetings, Kristen. How are you today? I'm doing well in yourself. Doing lovely, thank you. It's so fun to be on here with you guys. I love listening to everybody. Karen had some amazing tidbits in there, and Red had some cool stuff. And, and the infamous David always brings uh, his A-game to these things. So, he does. Uh, you know, I'm pulling up the anchor position, but I have no idea why I feel like I'm the lightweight of the group today. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Especially, you know, why you're not. You're actually a perfect bookend to our interview with Biscuit Belly, right? Because Biscuit Belly is looking for more um, area developer positions. I shouldn't say type positions. I should say she's looking for multi-unit owners. Um, and a lot of the companies that, that they're doing business with and that are buying their brands are these big conglomerates that already own multiple multi-unit QSR brands. So not so much with what you're talking about today. I think you're going to be a really nice bookend for that. I think it's great. I love their model, uh, but there's a lot of models out there that work really well in the franchising industry. So, you know, uh, in my position, and since I own multiple brands, I actually have two or three positions that uh, I'm responsible for. So whether we're talking about being a multi-unit franchisee in one brand or a regional developer and a franchisee in another brand, there are similar skill sets, but there's also some different responsibilities where additional skill sets come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the differences in, in those different roles that you play uh, based on the different positions you hold? Well, when, when you're a franchisee, you're basically following the playbook that the franchisor gives you. You know, they've built a system that you buy into, and, and really, uh, in my opinion, a lot of the uh, most well-run franchise units are units run by a franchisee who follows the system that's been developed over many years. Uh, the ones that tend to go off the reservation sometimes struggle, so I really appreciate people following the system. When you're a regional developer, you are a part of the system. So part of your job is to implement and train with franchisees once you have helped uh, choose the franchisees that you're going to be responsible for. Um, and then and then you mentor them as you continue to move forward to help them, you know, grow their organization, whether it's one unit or multiple units. But in addition, you are a corporate representative at some level, and you have to make sure they follow the system, that they're hitting their numbers, that they're, they're following everything the way that it's laid out, that they're a good corporate player 
in that field. Mm -hmm. And if you fail at doing that, then you actually are training another generation of franchisees to do it the wrong way, which will very likely right. lead to their failure. So there's a little sure. heavier load when you're a regional developer uh, if you want to do it the right way, in my opinion. Do you think that somebody just coming out of, say, corporate America and looking at um, going into something like this, do you think an area developer is the right, way, right place for them to go, or do you think we're looking at a single-unit, multi-unit setup? What would you recommend to people like that? I, this is opinion at this point in time. I believe they should be a franchisee before they go into the regional developer mode. Mm-hmm. Because if you haven't lived the franchisee life, it's very difficult to understand what they are facing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, for instance, in my regional developer role, um, I have really all control over which franchisees get chosen. If I've got multiple people looking for a territory or a license, mm-hmm. um, I can basically interview them and decide which one I think will fit the role best. Okay. And in that case, I want to pick somebody that I feel maybe has some corporate experience or some other franchise experience or business ownership or something that, you know, will will give them a better chance of success. But I also want somebody that's willing to follow the system. I'd love to find right. somebody that's willing to, you know, learn from me and take a little advice from me, even though it's their business, at least listen right. to a seasoned veteran to see what my thoughts are on it. And if, right. in my experience uh, as a short time being an RD, um, if you find somebody that is not willing to do those types of things, probably the relationship between you two is not going to go well in the future. It's going yeah. to be an ongoing struggle and very likely will lead to some failure somewhere along the way, probably on the franchisee side. Yeah. Um, you know, very likely as a regional developer, I may be put in a situation where I have to help pull the license from a franchisee because they're not following the system. And if That's I can look in the rearview mirror and some of that is my responsibility, it's a heavy load to carry. Sure, sure. So, so let's, let's talk about you've got all these corporate executives and, and maybe not C-level people necessarily, but just uh, people out of the corporate world coming out, and everybody's going to have different skill sets. So now we're looking at maybe not regional developer right away, but we're looking at single unit versus multi-unit. Um, what do you think about that? Well, um, that's a little tougher decision. If you've got somebody with good business experience and they, you know, go through the, you know, the whole process with a franchisee where they do discovery day and they go through Mm -hmm. the validation process. I mean, I think there's some signals that come out of that to a franchisor that might lead them to say, this is a great person to take on, uh, you know, a multi-unit type role. Uh, Many cases, the franchisor will put the multi-unit Um, opportunity into a phased development type process. So in other words, you may develop one this year and two next year and three the year after that or something. So you can kind of learn your way through that path before you dive in and open three or four all at the same time and maybe have all of them be less successful than you want. So I really like it when they take it slowly with those new people that have not run a franchise before. Uh, frankly, in my experience, I've seen people that have failed simply because they grew too fast without yep. the proper experience as a franchisee, not as a right. corporate, you know, mentor or something like that, but somebody that's actually worked in the business. Yeah, I can see that too. And I, I have seen some franchise models that do say, you know, three to five units within six or eight years. And, you know, geez, take a time like COVID and you're, you're opening a business right before COVID hits or during a pandemic. How do you expect well, people to, to do that? You know, just doesn't seem realistic. 
And if you buy this in that kind of a format, then you as the franchisee have a little control over how fast you grow. So for instance, our development plan when we first got into Great Clips, I don't remember it, I can't quote it specifically, but it was very similar. It was like build one the first year and one the second year and two the third year and over 10 years, you're gonna build 17 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, because of the past experience my wife and I had and and, uh, our financial wherewithal and then the aggressive nature of me, uh, we grew much faster. We actually uh, finalized our development plan in about four years versus 10. But that wow. first year or two, we had a lot of time working in the stores and really learning the ins and outs of it so that we could we could ensure that every store worked exactly that way. And I'm betting David went through some of that same process as he was growing. So I think yeah. that's very similar for successful people in the franchise world. Okay, good. And I certainly think that um, a single unit franchise is a great place really for anybody to start. And once his or her franchise is hitting all the marks, there's always opportunity for expansion. There's opportunity for, you know, a different franchise license, different. I I was talking to somebody about buying a business that sits on top of Molly made. That's a complimentary service to what we do in house cleaning. And so there's a lot of opportunities out there. I hate for people to think that I'm leaving this, this big corporate job and I'm going to go open just one franchise. Well, you got to walk before you run, and that's a great place to learn. And then guess what? The world is wide, wide open to you. Um, well, that's true, Kristen. And as you build your first franchise uh, location and you develop staff, this is this gets into David's daily yeah. you develop staff and you build your next one within a reasonable proximity, it's very likely one or two of the staff that you developed in your first location will help open the second location and train that group. And it just continues to grow from there, almost on a, like an amoeba type situation. Mm-hmm. And I've found that in our world, that's very, very successful. And I'll be honest, I would not have taken on a regional developer's role had I not had the experience that I had in the, uh, you know, boots on the ground part of franchising, because it put me in a situation where now I can bring somebody from corporate America in as a franchisee who knows nothing about the franchise world and actually be a true mentor to them as they go through each and every step, you know, including helping, you know, helping read an LOI and helping make sure they find the right attorney and accountant and helping them go through all of that process. So it's not just them alone. And if you don't have somebody like that and you're a single uh, practitioner or single franchisee, sometimes you can make some bad decisions as we've already discussed. Sometimes you can get yourself into a real jam. In this case, I've got their corporate background and their desire to grow, and I can layer that on with what I've seen, both good and bad things I've gone through in the franchise world to help guide them to some good decisions as well as keep them from, uh, you know, stepping into some really bad situations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think it's really important for people to know that as you're getting ready to, to leave corporate world instead of going out and trying to slay the dragon on your own, um, franchising is certainly a great opportunity um, great options out there, and certainly here at Philly's the franchising, I feel like we have a great team for people to turn to to ask questions just like this. Well, absolutely, and Kristen, one last thought here. Um, we are in a very unique time in history right now because of the pandemic and the staffing situations that are going on in the world and all of that. So what we're seeing across the entire franchise system, uh, every one of them, there are some long-term experienced franchisees that we're going to retire in five to ten years that are now saying, listen, I I got an opportunity. If I get an opportunity to sell this now, um, I'll get out and retire because I've made a lot of money. I've invested in other things. 
unhappy and comfortable, and I don't need to do this anymore. And what that means is if you've got somebody from coming from corporate America that has helped run larger organizations, they may have the opportunity to buy a multi-unit franchise already that right. may have a great general manager and infrastructure already be, uh, built. They just need the financial wherewithal and a, and a true lead business leader to help them continue that process. So um, if I were advising anybody coming from corporate America, I would advise them to look for those opportunities because right now over the next year or so, I think there's going to be more than there ever has been in history. And it'll be a very unique opportunity for them to get in on a very high level that they could never do historically. That's awesome. And then I didn't even have to ask you the question because this has all been about how, and, and yes, it is exactly the right time to buy a franchise, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we've talked many times about everything that's gone on with, you know, uh, you know, the pandemic and then the government programs and now uh, staffing. When you're a single practitioner in a non-franchise situation, you've opened your own shop. Hallelujah. You know, you, you've done a phenomenal job. But the fact is, in most cases, you're a single soldier out there fighting a battle by yourself. When you get into a franchise system, you've got all you got the franchisor that guides you and supports you and helps you, but you've also got a lot of brothers and sisters that are franchisees that are fighting the same battles and maybe can keep you from making a mistake or guide you through that. So absolutely, maybe this is the best time in history to buy a franchise just for all of the extra things that are going with it that you, you don't get anywhere else. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Thank you so much, Jerry. We always appreciate your contributions to the show. But now I think Fred, or as I call him, Oz, is going to take us down the rabbit hole. And down we go. But before we start on the rabbit hole question, I just, I, Jerry, be aggressive? Really? <laughs> <laughs> you don't see it in me, Fred, right? No, no, never, never see that in you. Nah. I wouldn't call it aggressive. I think he's tenacious. I think he's a man who knows what he wants, and he goes and gets it. That's what well, I think. Well, I mentioned that uh, opportunity to buy multiple units, and right now uh, I'm being approached almost daily to buy multiple units from different people, and corporate is going, wait, stop, yeah. take a breath, get, let's, let's not do too many all at once. So, yes, well, they Fred, must, I'm sorry. They, they must hear that coin jingling in, in your pocket as you walk <laughs> down the street. Penny down the dollar. <sighs> yeah, it's a story of my life. All right. So, folks, I thought about um, last week, or maybe it was this week, I forget. Time passes slowly in, in the rabbit hole. Um, there was the, the Department of Defense um, uh, final uh, report on alien space visitors. And I really, I was really aiming at that one because we've done zombies the last couple of weeks. But listening to everybody talk about finding the right person and making sure that you've got the right qualities really stuck me into the matrix, okay? Because I started thinking about um, in future, not only will you be hiring people, I'm betting you'll be hiring fewer people because most of them are going to stay at home and um, watch TV. But you're also, yeah, you're also going to have to hire artificial intelligence, intelligences. So, what criteria would you use to hire an art, art, uh, artificial intelligence? What, what characteristics of the artificial intelligence would you want to make them part of your team? 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Who wants to go first, Ray? Well, I was, I was thinking, uh, I, I think I am an alien uh, from outer space. So that I, I know. I've known I, that for I, years. Yeah, I would just use my intelligence from the outer planets on uh, hiring, you know, AI. It would be uh, you know, no problem at all. You really are on vacation, aren't you? Oh, well, you're punished. <laughs> All right. Who wants to be the next person? Fred. Go for it, Terry. Say, you are a very unique human being, my friend, and, and these conversations get me just really considering you. And so we'll have another conversation offline about this sometimes, but zombies and artificial intelligence, things like that. My understanding about AI is that that can be programmed in any way, shape, or form that you want. So my goal would be to uh, program it exactly to follow the system in the franchise that I built, to be very uh, customer-centric and staff-centric so that it was always thinking like a human being when it came to those things, so that they were still feeling the warm and fuzzies and the love and all that kind of stuff. And I would make it many multiples smarter than me because that's what it's going to take to continue to be successful in the future. Okay, so I I get making it many factors smarter than you. That means it's probably approaching your level of your life. Um, (laughs) Shout out to Mickey. Shout out to Mickey. That's been fun. I'll see you all later. (laughs) But if you're going to program it to be human, and most of the problems are are react human-like, and most of the problems are caused by stupid humans, never mind. So, who's jumping on the question next? Well, I can I can jump on uh, Jerry's back and say that my answer is very similar because I think the operative word is intelligence, right? So when you say artificial intelligence, I immediately think of is it really intelligent? I mean, I don't know that it is. It's artificially intelligent, right? So based on what we input. So I would hope I get 